I'm, uh, I'm old-fashioned. I don't use this thing up here. The first time I got to teach at men's breakfast here, I... Oh, yeah, I left my water. Thank you. <laughs> the first time I tried to do men's, men's Bible study, men's breakfast, I tried to use a PowerPoint, and it was a total disaster. So I promised Justin Richardson I'd never do that again. I have one prepared, but I said I'll never do it again, so I'm not going to use it. So I'm going to have to ask you to use your Bibles this morning. We're going to be flipping back and forth to different passages. And when I go to familiar passages and I leave out words, I want you to fill them in, okay? Because there'll be verses that most of you know anyway. But that's why you got to get your Bibles ready to turn the pages. And you got to get your cell phones ready on your Bible apps so that you can keep up with me. Well, let's begin first with prayer. Our great God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and mercy to us that has brought us into another day of life, given us another opportunity to see the greatness of our God at work in the creation around us and in the lives of your people. Lord, we are so blessed by your goodness and mercy to us. We pray now that your Holy Spirit would take control of me, that your Holy Spirit would take control of the congregation, and that you would move and work in our midst as only you can. You know the needs of everyone here this morning. You know the blessings they've been going through, the hardships they've been going through. You know the crisis that they've been facing. You know the decisions that they've had to make and are going to make. So Lord, we pray by the power of your Holy Spirit, <coughs> somehow, as you usually do, that you would speak a word through your word to each one gathered here today. And we'll give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be in Psalm 103. Many of you are already f- familiar with it. I've got to control my mouse because it keeps knocking me out. I have to use notes because I'm getting old. I just noticed, you know, I was, I was going to say, you know, the, Ben's been going to be gone for five weeks, and the first week we got our resident doctor, our sec, which is Michael Strobach. Our second week we got our resident apologetic and financial counselor, which was Sean Kirk. Last week we got our resident associate pastor, Roger Cobb, who did a wonderful job. And next week I think we get our resident worship leader, Guy, <laughs> BJ, second all, is that right? And today you're really fortunate because what you get today is one of your resident old people. <laughs> I'm 74 years old, been married to the same wife. Let's say I got married when I was 21, I'm 74, what's the math? We've been married for 53 years. And she, <laughs> yep. And she just retired, and so now I get to enjoy her 24-7. So I waited 53 years for this. (laughs) Psalm 103, you want to stand as we read through it? Psalm 103 says, bless the Lord, oh, it's a Psalm of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles, (coughs) 
The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. You can notice the different hymns we sang as we work our way through. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our name, frame, he knows our name too, but he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass, he flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. To those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, all you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord. Oh, my soul. You may be seated. I did pray, didn't I? Okay. You got to remember that. Well, in the 70s, some of you were alive. And in the 80s, there was a, a black gospel group named Andre Crouch and the Disciples. Anybody ever heard of him? Yeah. Well, he has this song, Bless His Holy Name. That's what I was going to sing to you. It goes... Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. And then you repeat, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. And then he paraphrases verse 2. He has done great things. Our God has done great things. Bless the Lord, O my soul. I sang pretty good, didn't I? Well, the author of the psalm, of course, we're told is David, and there's no indication of the occasion that prompted the psalm that I've been able to find, other than some evident uh, show of God on God's part uh, of mercy. The scholars tell us that uh, Psalm 103 is one of the psalms used in the autumn festival of tabernacles. It begins and ends with the exhortation to bless the Lord, O my soul, and thus it's linked to Psalm 104, which begins the same way. In fact, Psalm 103 serves as a prelude to the closing three books, or three psalms of book number four. Did you know the psalms were divided into books? Five books, as a matter of fact. And uh, the first 41 books make up book one. 47 through, 42 through 72 is book two. You don't have to remember these. Book three is 73 through 89. Book four is the one we're in tonight, today, beginning with Psalm 90 and Moses and ending with Psalm 106. And then book five begins with 107, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, and then ends with 150. 
Psalm 103 is also divided into five parts. The first five verses are personal blessing, verses 6 through 10, the experience of Moses and Israel. Verses 11 through 14, God's pardoning mercy. 15 to 18, the steadfastness of God's love. And then 19 to 22, the call to all creation. So the psalm begins on a personal note in the first five verses, and then it expands to include all his readers in verses 6 through 19. And then finally, it includes all creation, verses 20 through 22. So it's a psalm of David. Now, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Guess what? You ready for another five? There are five things that you can notice in verse 1. The first thing is David's exhortation to himself, which is to bless the Lord. Now, the Hebrew word, and I really don't know Hebrew. I use my Strong's Concordance for these things. The only Hebrew I knew was Ranadeli in Philly. <laughs> but anyway, they say that the Hebrew word is Barak, not Barak, but Barak. And according to Strong's definition, uh, it means to kneel and by implication to bless God as an act of adoration. So David exhorts himself here to adore the Lord, or if you will, to bless the Lord, to kneel down and adore the Lord for all his benefits, for all his blessings, and is therefore a song of gratitude. The second thing in verse 1 is the subject or object of his blessing, which is the Lord. In all four capital letters, meaning Yahweh, the great I am that I am, Number three, what he is to bless him with, and that is with his soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Now your soul is the real you. Your heart, the seat of your emotions and will, the spiritual life that dwells within you. Number four, how is he to bless him? With all that is within me. That is with his intellect, his emotions, his will, with all his creativity, with his entire being, with all the zeal he can muster. And then number five, what is he to bless him for? He says, bless his holy name. God's name, or his name, represents all that he is, his reputation, his character. And David says his name is holy. The first meaning of holy is to be set apart. God's name is set apart from every other name given among men, and all of creation. Therefore, you remember that the third commandment teaches us in Exodus 20, that thou shalt not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. His name is also holy, meaning that it's without sin or fault. And the name that David uses here is Yahweh. Those You notice that with the four capital letters. And uh, that's the name that David uses here, and that's what we call God's personal name, the name he chose to identify himself to his people with, beginning at, with Moses at the burning brush. The I am that I am, whose authority is above all names, whose name carries weight and is worthy of praise because of who he is and what he has done. He's the one true and living God, the creator of heaven and earth, and all that is in it, including us. So his name is holy. So David encourages himself to bless the Lord because, of, because he and his name are, are holy. Now we come to verse 2. And David repeats 
The same exhortation again, bless the Lord, O my soul. But now he adds a second exhortation, and that is, and forget not all his benefits. Forget not all the good things he has done for you. And then I'm going to tell you that he lists 14 different benefits. Now, <clears throat> that he wants to make sure he and his readers uh, don't forget. Now, some commentators stop listing benefits at verse 5, but I'm going to suggest that the content David discusses in the remainder of the psalm can also be considered benefits or blessings. Now, some of you are aware of Mr. John Piper. He said he found 14 benefits as well in Psalm 103, but the sermon I listened to, he didn't tell me what they were. So you're going to get what the Lord impressed upon me. <laughs> now, as a side note, I wanted, I wanted to bring this in. I like to impress upon people, students especially, and, and individuals who like to study their Bibles, that, that when you study a passage of Scripture, look at the words right in front of you. Do you ever hear people say, I wish God would speak to me? And you know what they mean by that, right? They wish they'd hear some voice from heaven, you know. But John MacArthur says, open your Bibles, put your face down, and look at the words right in front of you, because God is talking to you. Every time you open your Bibles, he's speaking to you. The Bible is his word. It's his revelation of himself and his revelation of his son and his revelation of the plight of man and his revelation of what he has planned from eternity to do to answer the, the plight of man. So when you study the scriptures, look at the words in front of you and get everything you can on your own out of the passage. And then when you're exhausted and you think you've checked all the cross-references, and got everything you want, then, and usually only then, do you consult John Piper and the rest of the commentators. Get all the meat you can out of the Word of God yourself. And it's possible. You can do it. So many people say, well, I'm not a teacher. I'm not, I'm not a preacher. I'm not, I can't do it. But yet you can. And it's amazing as you meditate on God's Word, study on God's Word, and then you come and you you, you finally do look at the commentators and you see that you're not out in left field, that they actually are saying almost the same thing you are because you're smart people. God put the Bible in writing because he wanted you to read it and then he wanted you to study it and then he wanted you to meditate on it. So don't give up. You can do it. Now, I'm so glad for, for BJ this morning. Don't you love BJ? Looking forward to next week. But I asked him, last week if he could do count your blessings. We used to sing that growing up in, in my home church all the time. And, and uh, count your blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. You know, we need always to be finding ways to remind ourselves of all the blessings God continues to bless us with. Now, I was praising the Lord this morning for water in my shower. <laughs> and warm, just perfect. And then I was praising God for the best part of waking up. Yeah, the Folgers in my cup. <laughs> oh, I grew up on Maxwell House, but now I, I, I do Folgers. Now, why should we make the effort to remember 
all the blessings that God gives us. Because like Israel of old, we tend to forget quickly, especially when we go through a rough patch and we're wondering what God is up to with us. Has he forgotten us or forsaken us or hate us? Well, just take a few minutes and look around at all the things that God has blessed you with and done for you and know that he's still at work with you. Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, now participation, today and good. <laughs> he doesn't change. You're, you're not alone, you're not forsaken, and you're definitely not hated by God. When I graduated from high school, my mother gave me two things. She gave me Spurgeon's morning and evening, and then she gave me this little plaque that I've shared with some of you, and, and I've carried it all my life, and, and I, I almost quote it every day. It said, yesterday he helped me. Today he did the same. How long will this continue? Forever. Praise his name. Thanks, Mom. Well, you'll notice here when, when David starts listing all of God's benefits, and if I put a title to the message, it would be Believer's Benefits. When David starts listing all of God's benefits that he doesn't want to forget, he puts as number one, who forgives all your iniquities, making it, you could say, at, of first importance, and the benefit from which all other blessings flow. So we need to dwell here for a little while. Who forgives all your iniquity. Now that's quite a statement. But what does David mean by who forgives all your iniquity? Well, another word for iniquity is sin. So we could say that God forgives all your iniquity. God forgives all your sin. Now David knew this firsthand. He, he committed his share of sins. And when confronted on them, or made aware of them, he quickly confessed and dealt with them. And we've been going through First and Second Samuel and men's breakfast, and almost every time someone talks about it, they refer to the fact of David's quickness to repent. And that's one of the things we admire of, of David. Uh, but, but when he became aware of, of his sin, uh, he was always quick uh, to confess it and, and to deal with it. Look at Psalm 32, verse 5, if you would. So I repeat the text, Psalm 32, verse 5, and then I'll repeat it again so that hopefully by the fourth time you'll be there. Psalm 32 and verse 5 says, I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And what did he do? Your response, please. He forgave the iniquity of my sin. Now, if you back up to the beginning of that psalm, it says, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. And by the way, I, I use an English standard version, but some of the passages will be in the King James. I was born and weaned on the King James, and then I went to the New International, and then I went here. And if you're not comfortable with that, well, then that's why you're supposed to bring your own Bibles. <laughs> psalm 32, 2 says, Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. And of course, the big one that David was famous for was the affair with Bathsheba and Uriah. In Psalm 51 is his prayer of repentance and plea for forgiveness. David knew the forgiveness of God. And so what David is saying here, I believe, is that every iniquity he confessed and turned away from, he knew God had forgiven him. 
Why do I base that or how do I back that up? Well, look at Psalm 66 and verse 18. Psalm 66, 18. Psalm 66, 18. Number four, are you there? <laughs> David, well, the psalmist said, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. And isn't this what John teaches us in 1 John, beginning at verse 8? You don't need to turn there because you already know it, I'm sure. John says, if we say we have no sin, what do we do? We deceive ourselves, right? And the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, having the New Testament, we have the whole picture and, and understand uh, that there are two times when this phrase, who forgives all your sins, applies in the life of a believer. That's at conversion and in our daily handling of what the old theologians used to refer to as remaining sin. Now, conversion is, is what takes place when we first become believers in the saving work of Jesus Christ, God's eternal Son. And conversion is both something God does in us and something we do in response to God's working. Conversion, then, is first of all something God does in us. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. Many of you have been studying 1 Peter. I told Ben, as long as I get to fill in for Sean in Sunday school when he goes, I'm going to work my way through 1 Peter. We made it to chapter 2 two weeks ago. So at that rate, we'll be done in about five years. <laughs> or depending on how many times Sean takes off. But 1 Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Now, many of your Bibles probably say he begat us or he has begotten us, which means the same thing. Uh, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, flip back in your Bibles to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, Titus 3 and verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared... He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. And flip back further in your Bible to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 12. But all who did receive him who believed in his name, that's our part in conversion, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. That's his part. Now, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, I think it is, when we were born of God, we became new creations in Christ Jesus. Old things, like our rejection of God and our life of disobedience to God, are now passing away, and all things are becoming new like our desire to know God and love God and obey God, 2 Corinthians 5.17. This is what we call repentance. <clears throat> now, at conversion, God forgives us all our iniquity, and as we repent of all our sin, and so there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Where is that found? Romans 12, verse 1. So at the time of conversion, God forgives us of the penalty of our past, present, and future sins. And this the psalmist will have more to say about in verse 12. 
And if we don't repent and trust Jesus, John 3.36 says, that tells us whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So at conversion, God forgives all our iniquities. Now, what about our daily lives, our remaining sin? We continue to sin daily, don't we? And all of us at times blow it big time and wonder if maybe we've gone too far for God to forgive. Yet the Bible says, again in 1 John, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if like David, when we become aware of our sin and confess it and turn away from it, we know that God will forgive all our iniquities. Now, this of course doesn't mean that we won't suffer the consequences of our sin. Our sin still carries consequences, which makes our remaining sin serious. But all of these consequences we suffer here, praise God, and not in eternity. For example, if an alcoholic repents and receives Jesus as his Lord and Savior, God will forgive him. But he may still die of cirrhosis of the liver, like my father did. A murderer will be forgiven, but will still have to do time. An adulterer can be forgiven, but still has to experience the consequences of a ruined family. A liar can be forgiven but still has to experience the consequences of broken relationships. But if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us. So the forgiveness of all our iniquities applies to conversion and to our daily lives. And it's the first and foremost benefit we need to remember. So benefit number one is the forgiveness of sins. I really don't know how long I have and I don't know how long I'll take. Because if there's a clock here, I wouldn't be able to see it. So... Anyway, when you get bored and I've gone too long and you start standing up, I'll know it's time to quit. (laughs) The second benefit is the healing of all our diseases. Well, what does that mean? Does God really heal all our diseases? You know, I still have a few that he hasn't healed. I can't hear, I can't see, and I got the weakest heart in the neighborhood. Paul had at least one. Some of our ailments, he has left us to endure. Now, I think what David says here is that All healing comes from the Lord. David experienced healing and sickness, and so do we. He sought God's healing, and every time he received healing, he knew it was not the result of professional care, but because of the mercy and goodness of God. Now, this doesn't mean that we're not to seek professional care, because this is one of the means that, that, that God has ordained for our healing. But God is the one who enables the professionals And without his help, they're helpless. So God heals all our diseases, and it's to him that we are to look to for healing. Benefit number two, then, is who heals all our diseases. Benefit number three, verse four, is I'm calling the preservation of life. Who redeems your life from the pit, from destruction or death. That is, he saves your life from death when exposed to danger, or when attacked by disease. And the Lord pays the price for our deliverance because he's our kinsman redeemer. The Lord preserves our lives. Psalm 37 and verse 8. You don't have to turn there unless you want to, but that's the only way you can make sure that I'm telling the truth. Psalm 37 verse 28. I got it right here in front of me. I just got to get my mouse to cooperate. says, The Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. 
they are preserved forever. You ever have one of those times when you, when you thought you were going to die, but you didn't? Well, I guess you didn't. You're still here. One of those times when you thought you were going to die, and you should have died, but God protected you? I've had my share. I'm sure most of you had. The third benefit, then, is the preservation of life. Benefit number four, David lists, as the crowning of us with steadfast love and mercy. Now, again, I told you my mother at graduation gave me Spurgeon's morning and evening. I've read just about, well, almost all of the sermons that he's written. I've got them anyway. But anyway, I, I like what he said about this verse in his picturesque and poetic way of saying things. He says, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. Our Lord does nothing, he says, by halves. He will not stay his hand till he has gone to the uttermost with his people. Cleansing, healing, redemption are not enough. He must needs make them kings and crowns them. And the crown must be far more precious than if it were made of corruptible things such as silver and gold. It's studded with gems of grace and lined with the velvet of loving kindness. It is decked with the jewels of mercy, but made soft for the head to wear by a lining of tenderness. Who is like unto thee, O Lord God? It's God himself who crowns his princes, for all of their blessings come from him directly and distinctly. They do not earn the crown, for it is of mercy, nor of merit. They feel their own unworthiness of it, Therefore, he deals with tenderness, but he is resolved to bless them, and therefore he is ever crowning them, always surrounding their brows with coronets of mercy and compassion. Now that's Spurgeon. I can't talk like that. Anyway, benefit number four is the crown of steadfast love and mercy. Benefit number five, David mentions, in verse five, is the satisfying of you with good things, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Now, I use the ESV, and it says, who satisfies you with good. The King James says, who satisfieth thy mouth with good. The New American Standard says, who satisfies your years with good. And if you have a new international version, it says he satisfies your desires. New King James, he satisfies your mouth. Now, according to Strong, the Hebrew word here is adi, A-D-E-E, -E, and it is used in the sense of trappings, finery, generally like an, an outfit or a garment. Translated excellent, mouth, and ornament. So I'm going to say that, that what David means here is that God satisfies your needs with good things. You all know James 1, 17, right? Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh from where? Cometh down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Psalm 84, verse 11. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. So benefit number five he satisfies your needs with good things. Benefit number six, who satisfies you with good, so that benefit number six, your youth is renewed like eagles. Now, if you wanted to include that as one, I divided it. The sixth benefit is that your youth is renewed like eagles. 
Now, of course, there's a similar statement in Isaiah 40 in verse 21. Most of you know it. You can sing it. But they who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up as with wings as eagles. They shall walk and not be weary. They shall run and not faint. <laughs> well, your youth is renewed like the eagles. Do you ever have an experience when God blessed you with good and you felt satisfied, fulfilled, and reinvigorated? Now, some suggest this verse is talking about David in his old age. Well, what about it, old, folk, old folks? We got any old folks here? Nah, <laughs> just me. <laughs> oh, did you ever listen to that guy named Alistair Begg? I have breakfast with him five days a week after I finish my devotions, and then I have my breakfast. And the other day, he was preaching in Florida, and he says, you know what I notice here in Florida? That, it, that it's filled with newlyweds and nearly deads. <laughs> he said, I got to be careful because I'm getting pretty close to that. Yeah. Well, have, have you ever had then uh, a blessing that, that left you refreshed and feeling your oats again? Feeling in your mind, at least, like a kid again? About two months ago, Ben called me and asked me if I, would, if I was still interested in filling in for him. And I said, oh, yeah. And then I talked his ear off for the next half hour about Psalm 103. And what a blessing I had had that day and how the Lord had blessed me and made me feel young again. And, of course, he did that through my grandson, 23 years old. He drove me to the Home Depot, and then he, we had lunch together. And the beauty of my grandson, the 23-year-old, he's a twin, by the way, single, for those of you. <laughs> what I enjoy about his fellowship is he, re he loves to read, and he reads all the same kind of books that I read, and which are the same kind of books his mother reads. That's where he got it from. And so all the way to, to Home Depot and all the time at lunch, we were sharing books that we had read. And he recommended to me that Chip Gaines, you know, Capital Gaines book. And then he also recommended to me a, a, a good book on, on Christian manhood. And, you know, then we shared what, what we were reading and what, what we had been learning. And, and by the time the day was over, I was feeling my oats again. I was feeling like I could run through a troop and leap over a wall. You know, I, 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 was, I was feeling young and, and invigorated. And then when Ben called, oh, it just... You know, you've got a great and wonderful pastor. You know that, don't you? And the man loves the word. And that's why I'm here. Because as I told him, all my life I've been looking for a church where the pastor emphasized the pure word. And, and you're blessed. Not only are you blessed with a pastor who loves the Lord and loves the word and teaches it faithfully, but God has been gathering together in this congregation a multitude of men that love God's Word, and a multitude of people that love God's Word. And the amazing thing I find about this congregation, I've been here now for a little over two years, and the amazing thing I find is that, that most of the men that I talk to are more than ready and willing to talk about the things of the Lord and about His Word. You don't find that in other churches. So you're blessed, and, and uh, God, and it's all of God working through Pastor Ben, so benefit number six is your youth is renewed like the eagles. Benefit number seven is God's protection of his own, similar to 
number three, but different. Verse six, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Now, as believers, we all know from reading our Bibles that we suffer oppression from the world, the flesh, and who? Yes, the devil. Now, David is saying here that, that the Lord will not leave the oppressed without help or comfort. The righteous will be remembered, and he will not ha leave the oppressor without justice. The Lord has the back of all who are oppressed. I got a good friend here today that came to visit today, Mr. Don, Justin's father. We were back there teasing each other, and I said, I got your back, brother. But God has your back. He always has our six. Now, the Old Testament is replete with passages where God has special delight in widows and orphans and the oppressed and warnings against oppressing these and that he makes, takes up their cause and will deal with them. Now, I've got three passages I'm going to scroll through. One is in the first chapter of Isaiah and the next one is in Isaiah 10, but I want to go to what comes after Isaiah. <laughs> Don't all respond at the same time. <laughs> Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. Yeah. You know, it's good to teach yourselves and your kids what the books of the Bible are, memorize all 66 of them. So that when you're sitting in church and some new person comes along and the pastor says, you know, turn to Hezekiah 9.10, you can tell them that's not in there. <laughs> and when he says Genesis 3.15, you can show them where Genesis 3.15 is if they never use their Bible. So what comes after Isaiah? Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 5 and verse 28 says, they have grown fat and sleek the oppressors. They know no bounds in deeds of evil. They judge not with justice the cause of the fatherless to make it prosper, and they do not defend the rights of the needy. And God says, shall I not punish them for these things, declares the Lord, and shall I not avenge myself on a nation such as this? God cares for his own. So benefit number six is God's protection of his own. Benefit number eight, I'm calling the written word. Look at verse seven. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of God. Now that's God's self-revelation of himself. He made known his ways and acts to Moses, and he made them known to David and to us. And how has he done that? Through the written word of God. For David, it was the first five books of the Bible. Benefit number eight is the written word. Romans 15 and verse 4, you're familiar with, maybe. I just love to hear those pages turn. <laughs> Romans 15, 4 says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. It's also repeated in 1 Corinthians 10, 11. Now David knew what God had revealed through the written word. He had the Pentateuch. And it never ceases to amaze me when you read Psalm 119 and all he has to say about his love for the Word of God and all he says about the Word of God, he's talking about the first five books of the Bible. Do you get that much benefit out of the first five books? <sighs> what about all honest? You've got to work. 2 Timothy 3.15, Paul reminds young Timothy that from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. 
All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be perfect, complete, equipped for every good work. So blessing number eight is the written word of God. And, and this may even be our greatest benefit because if God had not revealed himself in scripture, we wouldn't know the plan of salvation. The heavens declare the glory of God and man can see his power and his majesty in creation, but they know nothing of the fullness of God without him revealing himself to us. And then he made sure that as he revealed himself to us, through the prophets, through the Old Testament speakers, that he had it written down so that we could read it for ourselves. And since he made sure that it was written down so that we can read it for ourselves, guess what he wants us to do? Read it. Oh, but I can't read it. It's too complicated. Especially if you have a King James Bible. These and thou's and wouldest and shouldest. Well, you know there are some modern translations. And, and, and if you can't read and you don't like to read, you find it hard, you can get it on CD, and you can listen to the guys read it on, 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 on line for you. So, like Paul says to the non-believer in Romans 1, you're without excuse. So, you want to grow? Read your Bible. Pray every day. <laughs> okay, I got to get busy, don't I? Running out of time. Number nine. <laughs> you're laughing. <laughs> Number nine is God's infinite Patience. Talked about that with Steve just a little earlier. Steve's virgin. Verse 8 says, The Lord is merciful and gracious. He's not out to destroy us, much less to rob us of what is best for us. And he demonstrates that mercy and grace by his infinite patience with us. He's slow to anger. He puts up with us for a long time. And he's abounding in steadfast love, which means he likes to I'd say, love us into submission. In Exodus 34, 6 is where David got all of these words. Remember, his scriptures were the first five books. Exodus 34, 6 reads, The Lord passed before him, Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but will by no means clear the guilty. Those are the consequences of sin. God is infinitely patient with us. Now, I like Bill Gaither. He's got that Bill Gaither quartet, but I like Bill Gaither when he was just a trio, him, his brother, and, and, and his, his wife. Now, Bill Gaither back then wrote a little ditty about the patience of God, which says, he's still working on me to make me what I need to be. Told you I'd probably sing. <laughs> it took him just a week to make the moon and stars, the sun and the earth, Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be, cause he's still working on me. <laughs> so benefit number 10 is his, well benefit number 10 now is going to be his slowness to anger. He will not always chide, verse 9, nor will he keep his anger forever. God, God does get angry at his people at times for their foolishness. And if you don't believe that, I'm in Numbers. Read through the book of Numbers. Yeah. But what we learn about God's anger toward his people is, is that it's short-lived. 
and only felt until we experience the discipline and repent. Hebrews 12, 5 says, And have we forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children? My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receiveth. So benefit number 10 is his slowness to anger. Benefit number 11 is his dealing with sin. <clears throat> now, way back when I guess the elders were told that I was going to be preaching, John Wiley came over to me in the back and said, hey, are you going to be preaching for us? What are you going to be preaching on? I said, Psalm 103, and he started quoting it. I said, oh, I'm in trouble now. <laughs> and this was part of what he quoted. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. And I bless him every day for that. He doesn't give us what we deserve. Verse 11, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Now, a lot of you like to listen to old J. Vernon McGee, that's one of those old dead guys. J. Vernon McGee said about this psalm, he says, the psalmist does not say as far as the north is from the south. That's a great distance. But when you start moving from the east to the west, there's no end. When you start going west, you keep on going west. When you go north on earth, you eventually reach a point where you start going south. But when you go west, you never stop going west. And he says, that's how far God has removed our sins from us. Isaiah puts it this way in Isaiah 43 and verse 25, where God says, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. When he puts our sins away, he remembers them no more against us. God has perfect knowledge, so he can't forget anything. But when he says he forgets, he means he's not going to hold it against us anymore. He puts it all in the past, just like we need to do. Now, am I running out of time? I have no idea. What time is it? Huh? Huh? It's 10.30? Well, I guess I can't sing you another song. When we grew up, we used to sing the children's song, You Ask Me Why I'm Happy? Well, I'll just tell you why. Because my sins are gone. And when the scoffers ask me where they are, I say, they're gone. They're underneath the blood of the cross of Calvary, as far removed as darkness is from dawn, in the sea of God's forgetfulness. That's good enough for me. Praise God. My sins are G-O-N-E, gone. Benefit 11 is God's dealing with our sins. Benefit number 12 is his fatherly compassion. And I guess we'll have to hurry through this. As the father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Thank you, BJ, for the songs that you sang about he's our father. My, many people have a hard time with the idea of God as father because they've not had a good father in their life. But God is the type of father we all need and desire. I never knew my father until I was 30, but I did know my heavenly father since I was nine. And he understands all our weaknesses and our failures for he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust, he knows we are perfect, we're not perfect, though that's his goal for us. Number 12 is his uh, fatherly compassion. Number 13 is his everlasting love for us. We sang about that. 
As man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower, for the wind passes over it, and it's gone. Its place knows it no more. But the steadfastness of the Lord is from when? Everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. To those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandment. Benefit number 13 is God's everlasting love. And Jeremiah said, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And Romans 8, you know, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. I was going to quote the whole passage, but got to get done here. Number 14. (sighs) Number 14 is God's sovereign counsel or control over his creation. Verse 9, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. We have this benefit from the Lord that that he's in control of his creation and is working all things according to his holy will. Nebuchadnezzar found that out in Daniel chapter 4 after spending several years in his backyard eating grass and God finally opened his eyes. And then he said that God is in the heavens and does all that he pleases. He does all his will. Our catechism question for the kids was, can God do anything? And the answer is, God can do all his holy will. And that cures that problem of how many angels can he put on the tip of a needle. Uh, God can do all his holy will, and that's all he does. Uh, So benefit number 14 is the sovereign control of God over creation. And then David closes with a call to uh, the angels to bless God and all the hosts of heaven to bless God and then all of creation uh, to bless God. Okay, you done? 14 blessings, 14 benefits that the Lord our God gives to us. You want me to give them to you again? Or we got to go home. (laughs) Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and mercy to us. We thank you for your word and the richness of it. We thank you, Lord, that it is so rich, so deep, that we can never plummet steps. We thank you for your word. We love you this morning, Lord. We love your people. We pray for our pastor while he's away that you'll protect him on his travels. We pray, Lord, that through the preaching of your word this morning that your Holy Spirit would take it and apply it to every heart here this morning and meet each specific individual need that was brought. And if you'll do that, we'll be pleased to thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.